Blog Talk Radio. Outboard podcast. Uh, the music, Sid, is uh, driving me. There it goes. It stopped. <laughs> this is not the most seamless opening to this thing. Sid and I have this bumper music we use, and it has a has a life of its own. But uh, this is Jim and Sid. You're there, right, from L.A. Also. Sid, I think you. Yeah, I'm here. Ah, good. All right. Uh, just some uh, technical problems. Um, anyway, uh, first, <laughs> it's not the technical problems, not the fault of AT&T, which is our sponsor, AT&T Mobilizing Your World. It's Jim and Sid Operator Air with using this podcast software. But <clears throat> anyway, welcome to the latest podcast. It's early August. Um, a year from now, the Olympics will start in uh, Rio. So it's going to be a very busy time. Uh, but this time of year, it's actually kind of quiet. It's the dog days of summer, um, even in sports. Um, but there are some nice advantages, Sid. We uh, got to see a bunch of guys in Speedos at the World Swimming, Diving, and Water Polo Championships in Russia. And uh, you're a big Speedo guy now. I remember you used to sort of, when I first met you, not be, not be a Speedo guy, and you sort of become one. Well, you know, Speedos represent... In this culture, I think to a lot to like the the, the standard guy femininity, femininity, right? Nudity represents femininity, and and straight guys, you know, they wear baggy clothes and they don't show their packages. Now I'm all about the package, so that's that's pretty much what it's about. <laughs> well, it's funny. I think a speedo is actually hyper masculine because I mean you're showing a lot, you're you're kind of showing everything out there. You're showing the kind of body you got and. Uh, you know, even I think most guys actually, I think most guys look good in speedos, even though people kind of disagree with me. But uh, it's funny that uh, it is such a cultural thing too, because you go to places like Europe or Asia, and you will see a lot of men who are not gay wearing speedos on the beach. And in the U.S., it really seems to be if you see a group of guys in speedos, you can almost certainly think it's a gay pool party, <laughs> and everywhere else, it's bros in their board right. shorts. Well, it's, it, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago when I would go to Fire Island, you'd see a lot of Speedos, but you would see a lot of board shorts too. When we went last month, I would say the guys on the beach were 80 to 85% Speedos. And so it, it's not just me. I think there's been a whole cultural, in the gay community in particular, embrace of Speedos like there was not when I first came out. Well, and it's interesting, even in the sport of bodybuilding, they have this, you know, these guys wear what basically are Speedos to pose in. Um, Speedos, obviously a brand name, so we'll capitalize the S, but it replies to the sort of the bikini-like uh, sort of, thong, you know, uh, suit. But there's this whole category now called fitness, and these guys wear board shorts. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of people say, well, you can't tell if they have developed legs because these shorts go down to their knees. 
And to me, it's clearly a way to say we're not gay because we're not going to be walking around in those skimpy things. So it's kind of interesting that even in a sport where the goal is to show how you've built your body, you're kind of still covering up a big part of it, which are your legs. And I'm convinced it's because of the whole, I don't want to be seen as a gay dude. Yeah. Oh, no, no question. And, and, and people are also very self-conscious about their packages. They, yeah. <laughs> that's a big part of it. People seeing it, people seeing how big it might be or might not be. And so I think that plays a big role, too. But we have a, a gallery on our website today of uh, guys from the uh, swimming and water polo competition over in Russia. And uh, unless you're somehow offended by the sight of uh, well-toned men, uh, uh, you should get over there and click because every time we post one of these, we always get some comment from people saying, how dare you sexualize people and blah, blah, blah. So I actually addressed that in my post for once. Sexualized? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's the same thing. Oh, how you guys, you're, you know, you're hurting the cause and you're hurting, you know, you should just write about sports and never show any of this stuff. And it, we, we hear it all the again? time. And, no, it, I, no, I preemptively wrote about it because we always hear about it when we post this stuff. So I decided oh, to address yeah, yeah. it in the post on the, the photo gallery, simply saying, if you don't like it, click on this link, and the link takes you to a bunch of people in burkas. So if that's your thing, go click on that. <laughs> All you have to do is, is tell them to go to uh, Sports Illustrated's website. Uh, yeah, exactly. And get back to us about what's on there. Uh, but uh, next year this time, there'll be a lot of Speedos, because swimming is always the first week of the Olympics. And uh uh, it'll be coming up in Rio, and the, the good thing is because of the time difference, I think Rio's only one hour from East Coast time, and there'll be a lot of stuff shown live, so it'll be fun for once not to sort of know who's going to win stuff when you're seeing it. So, But that's a year away. I and on, uh, I love this on Sports Illustrated's website right now. Can you guess the top 15 most beautiful girls of sports? That's, that's, one, of the po- that's one of the stories <laughs> on the front page of Sports Illustrated's website right now. With a woman in a bikini. So, so please, please stop. Yeah, we always say we show athletes in their uniform. These aren't, you know, NFL players who are caught in some locker room cam. These are swimmers and water polo players, and that's what they wear. Um, Chrissy Teigen guest stars on Sports Jeopardy. <laughs> SI swimsuit casting call. <laughs> this is Sports <laughs> Illustrated, so please stop. That's pretty good. Um, let's shift focus. Uh, John Stewart's going off the air today, and John Stewart started his show in 1999, which is coincidentally um, when Outsports started. Our first post came in very late 1999. It's kind of funny that we have the same uh, longevity as, as John Stewart does, uh, but we're not going anywhere, at least not right now, um, although he got paid $25 million a year, so I think he could afford to take time off and not worry about things, but our, our, the thing we always started with, we, we started our whole website because of the NFL. We're big NFL fans. No one in the you know, gay world was writing about it. Um, so we've been kind of NFL-focused ever since, and the fact that it's the biggest sport has actually helped. So I wanted to talk a bit just about things NFL sort of on the field, and we'll get into that uh, um, based on a post we had this week by one of our uh, new writers. But also, it's like it's a year, a year ago, Michael Sam was in a training camp, and you know, you were getting ready. The gay games were starting right around this weekend in August, and you went to St. Louis for his first exhibition game. The season actually started a week earlier last year, so it would have been the first weekend in August, full weekend. Um, 
And a year from now, Michael is on the CFL. He might play tomorrow. Um, Joe Guckin alerted us that ESPN's uh, CFL game of the week is uh, Toronto, Ottawa, or uh, Montreal, Ottawa. So if Michael does play for the first time this season, you can watch it on ESPN. Um, but it's been a year later, and I guess it, it seems to me that has the NFL's sort of gay moment passed. What do you mean by that? Well, you went to the owners' meetings in 2014, and people were talking about the subject. It was sort of part of the discussion, and you went in 2015, and it was kind of like they had moved on. And I'm wondering if the league itself has sort of said, okay, we sort of addressed this, and you don't hear really people talking about the issue anymore. Um, Is it a feeling that it's sort of been there, done that, and now we're moving on to other things? I'm not sure it's that. I, I think, you know, if you look at how the NFL operates, it's more what is directly in front of us. Uh, so, you know, Deflategate is directly in front of them. And so what do they spend a bunch of time in the offseason doing, investigating that and changing the rules on what to do with balls after they're measured before a game, right? And if And if another player came out or a coach came out, I'm sure – the NFL would spend a ton of energy suddenly focusing on LGBT issues. But I know for a fact that, um, you know, when the, when the NFL referees convened a couple of weeks ago, they had an entire presentation on homophobia and transphobia and inclusion of LGBT issues. And, and I know that some of the teams have been engaging in that as well. Uh, and I know there's some of the things going on behind the scenes. Whether they're talking about it publicly or not, I do know the NFL is still engaged on this issue. Who ran the thing in, with the referees? I, I believe it was Wade, Wade Davis. But I heard from a, I heard from a referee that that they that they did it, and that and that you know, and that some people liked it and some people totally rejected it and and you know I on Facebook today I posted a thing about kind of my experience last night at my referee meeting with um they addressed LGBT issues and referees are an old guard it's lots of guys in their 50s and 60s and even in their 70s and some of those guys a lot of them are from the south from Arkansas and Louisiana places you might not expect to find a lot of uh empathy with LGBT people, so it's not surprising that some of the referees weren't keen on hearing about it. Uh, what do you mean, not keen on hearing about it? They vocally expressed their opposition, or...? To, to, to yes, to, to, to other, to not, not in the room, but to other people in the room. So, anyhow, that's well, another topic for... <laughs> no, but it's interesting to say that, it's like, you know, Dale Scott, uh, the openly gay umpire said when Billy Bean came to address the major league umpires this year, uh, Billy Bean, the former um, baseball player who's openly gay and now part of the, in a, uh, Major League Baseball's diversity inclusion um, arm, <clears throat> he said that you could hear a pin drop, and it was surprised Dale because he said some of those guys are really conservative, very Southern, and you know he said he was impressed by how many of these umps, especially people he thought, were like, you know, the biggest right-wingers would come up to him and said, oh, my God, that was so impressive what he said. And I kind of am wondering if the fact that they had one of their own, Dale, who's been in the league for 30 years, coming out sort of has had an influence on these guys thinking, 
um, well, I actually do know a gay person, and um, it's not maybe the stereotype I thought. And I'm curious, seeing the NFL, if they had an openly gay ref, if the if the same thing would hold. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I um, I think I think it's individual, and I think that generally, whether people want to hear about LGBT issues or not, they're if 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 a guy on their crew was gay, they would they would get along with them. But you know, it's uh, it's, it's an individual thing. And that's what I've found. You know, I was very I was very people told me um, not to come out. Other, other gay referees in other places in the country told me, do not tell other guys uh, in the unit that you're gay. And strangely, most of them have no idea what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, but, you know, as I have told these guys, most of whom are black or, or Hispanic, most of whom are in their 50s and 60s and even, even one guy in the 70s, they've been great. And I, I, not only have I not noticed them not shying away from me, but I've noticed them actually coming up to me like at the meeting last night. One of them was like, hey, good to see you again. I think we have a game again. I mean, it was like, he was just totally cool. Well, and again, it goes with the power of sort of knowing somebody. And uh, <clears throat> it's also interesting that maybe that the reframing the question with the league is in that the league has sort of moved on. But I think a lot of maybe the media has moved on. You know, that that was last year's story yeah. and this year's story. Well, the last fall story was domestic violence. And this year's story was the whole deflate gate nonsense. And, you know, there'll be some new, oh, and now it's, you know, racism. It's Chip Kelly and all that stuff. I mean, so I think a lot of it might right. just be the media feeling that, okay, we've kind of dealt with this because you're not seeing much about Michael at all, Michael Salmon, maybe with good reason he hasn't played. <laughs> um, but I'll be curious to see what happens if he actually or when he actually plays. He's going to play. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. Um, he's going to play sometime this month if there is any more increased coverage <clears throat> once he actually starts getting on the field. Hard, it's hard to take a lot from the media's lack of coverage of Michael because he's not in the league, Yeah. because he hasn't been playing. I think, you know, if he gets in there and his first play is, the first play is a sack of the quarterback, well, they'll write about it. And if he plays well for – three, four, five, six, seven games, they're going to start writing about it. But, you know, the NFL is, the, 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 right now, it's training camps. There are 32 teams in training camps. They're going to have preseason games starting soon. You have injuries, you know, Arian Foster going down, and you have, and you have trades. How's Jimmy Graham going to work out with the Seahawks? These are, and that's why people didn't cover Michael getting cut from the Cowboys very much. There's just other stuff going on that is, that is frankly, more interesting to NFL writers. Well, yeah, and I, I, I can't say I blame them. But I think I'm just thinking more, you sort of think of the culture, and it seems that at least for now there's been a, it's all quiet on the Western front when it comes to pro sports and because there's like nobody out. So um, it's sort of the chicken and egg thing that, you know, if someone does come out, that'll kind of refocus people's attention on it. Um, but uh, let's move on to the NFL. And it's sort of an NFL-related story. Uh, Craig James, the former SMU and New England Patriots running back, uh, filed a lawsuit against Fox News claiming his religious freedom was violated because claims he was fired because of his comments opposing uh, same-sex marriage. He was supposed to be a Fox Southwest college football commentator, and um, Fox let him go, and now he's a suit. And have you kind of, you've written about this and this whole religious stuff in the past. What is your take on that? Well... From from the look of it, yeah, they they did not like that he talked about being gay being a choice that 
that God will judge people if they don't <laughs> if they don't uh, fight against same-sex marriage and, and all this other stuff. Uh, and Fox Sports didn't like it, so apparently they let him go. And you know, it's so interesting to me, and, and I hope I can articulate this idea here. Guys like Craig James say you need to love the sinner but hate the sin, reject the sin, reject the action, right? Love the person but reject the action. Well, that's what Fox Sports did. They rejected the action. Craig, didn't, Craig James didn't just have this belief. He acted on his belief. He campaigned on it. He spoke about it. He encouraged people to join him. That's not just beliefs. That's actions. And, so I, and, and Fox Sports hated the action, so let the guy go. And I don't, uh, I don't understand why. I can't imagine that there's, uh, there's really a basis for his lawsuit, given that they didn't fire him for his beliefs. They fired him for what he did with them. Yeah, and they are a... Uh... You know they're a they're a private company, meaning they're you know it's a private employer, it's a public company on the stock exchange. But they, they pretty much can hire or fire someone for kind of any reason, and you don't really need you know it, there's not a litmus test on that. And they thought his his views were not uh, um, you know in line with what they they're kind of stressing from a human resource standpoint. But it's the latest. This is the latest attack on gay rights is the whole religious freedom thing. That's the big, that's how they're trying to sort of, the, the people opposed, because they've lost on the gay marriage thing, are trying to fight it uh, by, by saying all this, that are, their beliefs are being, you know, discriminated against. And I think it's nonsense, and my guess is the suit's not going to have much impact except for what it might do, you know, politically or get people all fired up. So um, it is kind of ironic, like you said, that was a good way of putting it, he's, you know, hate the sin or whatever, hate the sin, love the sinner. When it happens to them, they kind of don't like that line of thinking. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, and people, oh, the First Amendment, he has the right to say what you want. He absolutely has the right to say what you want, no question. But that only defends you from action by the government, doesn't defend you from people yelling at you on Twitter or or somebody firing you for what you said. You know, actions... Actions have uh, consequences, and and you and a guy like James, who I'm sure is a bootstrap Republican, you know, I, I certainly understand that. Again, like you said, just doesn't like it when the tables are turned. Yeah, and I, again, that's the point you made about the First Amendment. It's the biggest thing people have misconceptions about. You know, you're you're on radio or TV. You get fired all the time for a whole million reasons, and I don't really. It's not violating your rights. You have a right to say anything you want to. So, and Craig said what he wanted to, and Fox said we don't like that. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, let's now switch to sort of on-field stuff. We both get kind of geeked up when the season starts, and uh, we have a high school, a, a, a young writer named Jeremy Brenner who's 17 in high school. He's going to be doing a class project for basically uh, is going to be writing about issues of homophobia and other issues involving teens that he's going to start in September. But he's also a big NFL nut like we are, and he really knows his stuff. He had his top fantasy sleepers last week, and he wrote his 15 bold predictions for the upcoming season that you could read uh, um, on the thing. And I guess I want to just talk uh, in the remaining time just about either storylines that intrigue you or stuff you'll be looking for or any bold predictions or just sort of in general. Well, certainly the one that, that I am most interested in, and the one that 
that uh, that Jeremy didn't touch in his predictions is what is going to happen with the New England Patriots. Tom Brady very well may miss the first four games of the season. And I have been uh, hoping that Jimmy Garoppolo would get an opportunity sooner than later to lead that team. I, I have, from what little I've seen of him, I, I, I like what I've seen. And I think that on that team, he has the opportunity to shine. And what happens if the Patriots are able to go 3-1 and one against some decent competition to start the season? What happens? I, you know, it, this, 15 years ago, Tom Brady supplanted Drew Bledsoe uh, because Bledsoe missed some games, and now can Garoppolo do that as well? I mean, I've, I've said I think Brady should, Brady should be gone anyway, and, you know, keeping Brady cost them Brandon Browner and Darrell Revis. Was the, uh, so I wish they had cut him a while ago, but uh, that, that's the one that I'm obviously, as a Patriots fan, most interested in. We had a guy at the gym the other day talking fantasy football, and he said, what do you think about getting Garoppolo as a sleeper? And I said, why? You would only have him for at most four games. He goes, what if he goes 4-0? And I think, oh, there's no way they'd bench Tom Brady. And then the more I thought about it, I said, well, you know, what would Bill Belichick do if they do go 4-0? And they're playing really well. I mean, it, on the surface, it seems that you don't basically bench the MVP of the Super Bowl, who threw four touchdowns <laughs> against one of the best defenses of recent years, but on the other hand, you sort of think you went 4-0. So um, it is an interesting, potentially interesting dilemma. Now, it could be that he gets zero games. I mean, you know, I have no idea how this judge is going to rule in the arbitration, but um, I think the Patriots are letting Garoppolo start with the first team yesterday because they have to be prepared that he might miss four games unless they reach some kind of settlement. But I don't think the NFL is going to now, I can't admit, the NFL would not agree to any settlement that does include a suspension, and apparently Brady does not agree to any, any settlement that includes a suspension. So you're probably looking at either zero or four. Um, but, I mean, I mean, if Garoppolo goes one and three, is an easy decision. But you're right, if he goes three and one and really looks good in the process, I, I mean, I, I've written that I think this is his audition, and then Brady's gone next year. You know, that if he, if he shines, it's like, okay, we got our guy, and... They could cut Brady well, in 2016. And... The, their first two games are Steelers at Bills. Both of those games could be, and you don't know season to season, but it could be teams with pretty good defenses. And then they got the Jaguars and then at the Cowboys. So it, if, if Brady misses two games and Garoppolo has to go up against the Steelers and the Bills, I, he might not look good. I, it's, it's, it's such, that's why it's so intriguing to me. I, you have, yeah, you have the Super Bowl MVP being potentially replaced for the biggest start of the season by some guy in his second year who's never started a game. So, it, that to me is is the big intriguing piece. How about how about you? Well, the bill just on the Bills game. That game would be very interesting because Rex Ryan, even when he was back with a defensive coordinator for the Ravens, he had really game plan Brady better than anybody has in his thing. I mean, just even games the Jets lost, Brady's had some of his worst games. You know, even last year the Jets did not have much of an offense and they lost by one point and two points. What if Garoppolo goes in against the same Bill, you know, the same Rex Ryan that's given Brady's fits and lights them up for four touchdowns? It's kind of like, you know, that, that's why that's a game I would really watch in week two if it happened. Um, for me, a, a, sort of an intriguing storyline are the Giants. And I say that because Sort of like, you know, the Cicadias come out every 17 years. It's like, you know, every four years, the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, they won it in 2007, 
2011, and in neither year going into that year was anybody giving them even thinking about them. <clears throat> and they're going into this season um, with a offensive coordinator who's had a year under his belt, and Eli Manning actually played quite well last year, 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, sort of under the radar. Um, he's getting Victor Cruz back. Their defense should be better, although with Jason Pierre-Paul blowing off, what was it, one or two of his, one of his fingers with a fireworks accident. So I just kind of wonder if there's something about that team, and especially Eli, that, you know, they look like crap for three years, and then in the fourth year, they become a team that all of a sudden you're saying, holy you know, Christ, if they make the playoffs, they can put on a run. And um, so that's a team I'm at least interested to see how they perform because um, Eli is one of those most maddening quarterbacks. I mean, both those Super Bowl runs, he was phenomenal in the playoffs. And then you watch him and he throws four picks and three of them are pick sixes. And so you're, you're wondering what guy you get. So that's a team I'm at least going to be looking at at least uh, initially to see how they do. Yeah, and there's other teams like the Browns are, are interesting with the quarterback situation, and they have a, they have a good defense, and you got the Chargers who who got hot last year, and you know, the, and then you get the Seahawks, who everybody just assumes is going to be better than last year because they added a tight end, and and I just you know I. I guess maybe the Patriots in 2007. I mean, there are few teams that dramatically upgraded or even upgraded at all, really, by adding a wide receiver, let alone a tight end, who's probably going to be blocking 75% of the time. So I just, I'm not so enamored with that move for the Seahawks as everyone else seems to be. Well, and they got rid of a whole Pro, you know, a pro Bowl caliber center. So that is going to be right. interesting. And, and also people, you know, there is something to this stat – it's 40 years since a team lost the Super Bowl and won it the next year, and it's been 20 years, more than 20 years, since a team lost the Super Bowl and even made it back. It just its a hard thing to make the Super Bowl. And the Seahawks, the last two years, you know, Colin Kaepernick throws the ball six inches higher. It's a touchdown against, you know, the NFC Championship game in 2013. And last year the Packers needed five things to go wrong for them to lose the game, and all five went wrong. And so the Seahawks have – kind of snuck in the last two years, but the same thing for the team like the Patriots, you know, 14 points down to the Ravens. So just making the Super Bowl, you need some breaks. And I could see the Seahawks not making the Super Bowl this year, whereas they're the number one pick right now. It's them tied with the Packers on all the betting sites. And I'm kind of with you that I still think they're a good team, but I, I, there's something about the next year after the Super Bowl that stuff always seems to go wrong. Well, I, I told you that I don't think the Seahawks will be in, in, this, in the playoffs this year. And, you know, forget about these championship games that they won on single plays or flukes or whatever. Last year, they needed Carson Palmer to get injured to win the division. If Carson Palmer does not get injured and then the Cardinals' backup doesn't get injured, the Seahawks are the five or six seed. They don't have any home games. That's a very, very different playoff run, particularly for a team that doesn't do great on the road, than having all of your games at home. And, I mean, they were, what, 5-5 five and five at one point, 6-4? They were kind of middle of the pack in October. And, and, again, they needed injuries and all the – and they were tied, remember. The Cowboys and Seahawks and Packers were all tied with the same record. And just by tiebreakers, they ended up getting the one seed. So 
The Seahawks have been very fortunate the last two years. No major injuries, everything working out perfectly. And then that disaster at the end of the Super Bowl, you talk about Super Bowl hangovers, I just... That one, that one has to be one of the hardest ones of all time to get over. Yeah, I agree. And uh, as, as, as in a short time, another intriguing thing for me will be uh, Peyton Manning. I think this will likely be his last season, although he says he wants to play one more. And he has a new coach, and he faded at the end of last year, I think, because of age and injuries. And as someone who's rooting for him, I'm, I'm hoping he has a great season, but I'm hoping the Broncos could at least pick that's a team I see as, you know, having potential, but I could also see them kind of struggling and just, you know, kind of going out maybe nine and seven and, you you know, wild card and they go out the first round and that's kind of the end of the run. So um, that's that's a team. And I know we'll, uh, as we're running out of time, we'll have a lot more to talk about. Uh, we can kind of, <laughs> we get on a roll with the NFL and we can talk about this kind of forever. Um, but we're going to have more predictions. Sid's going to write about his Seahawks while um, we're also going to have a lot more as we're going on. And um, that's all the time we have for now. The podcast, again, is sponsored by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>